0: You can now take Krbn Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone. Easier to listen to the great hosts here on Krbn including our very own West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for Krbn. Live from Lane County, Oregon. It's the Bose No Show with your host West Lane County Commissioner Jay and, now, here's Jay.
1: and good afternoon. And I'm back. Survived Washington D.C. And uh, I got to miss Snowmageddon. At least the uh, the actual. event I didn't miss uh, all the branches and parts of trees down all over my yard that I had to clean up over the last several days but uh, you know how do you spell snowmageddon I I was you know writing up my my thing for today's show and I'm like M-A-G-A is it should be O-N or should it be E-N I probably should have been O-N so, you know, if you want to let me know, you know, in the Facebook Live comments on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page, or you can uh, email us here at uh, talk at net. How do you spell Snowmageddon? Because <laughs> it was Snowmageddon. And, and, you know, folks say, you know, well, that, that storm back in the 60s was, had a deeper accumulation over the three days. Yes, that's true, but the moisture content, i.e. weight of the snow and the the temperature it fell at was, you know, if that had been colder, drier snow, probably would have been three feet, but it was such wet, heavy snow that it did incredible damage to trees, which then did damage to power lines and houses and cars and other things they fell on, um, yeah, it definitely was a a storm event um, that will go down, you know, in a lot of people's memories. You know, people remember, you know, that were alive, the Columbus State uh, windstorm. People remember that huge snowstorm in the late 60s. They're going to remember this storm, you know, from February of 2019, uh, because it it was you know and still is causing havoc which kind of you know gets me to a few things you know one of the things is you know i i you know it's it's another typical day in the northwest in this time of year where the, the weather can change all the time And a little while ago it was snowing out there and everybody was rushing to facebook to say it's snowing like there's no one owns a window uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, this sort of thing can happen anytime time in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, this was a practice run for the Cascadia subduction zone earthquake that we're overdue for. That happens, you know, once every 300 years, almost like clockwork, we can figure it out from doing um, core samples of sediment from coastal marshes where you can see the sand um, layers that got washed in with the tidal waves uh, in these these sediments and a carbon datum and clockwork every 300 years. There's one of these major cascadias and more often some minor ones where part partial uh, ruptures of the uh, the subduction zone where the the Pacific plate and the the, the Wanda Fuca plate slides underneath the um, Coastal plate here, just off of the Oregon coast, and actually, it stretches from basically Seattle down to Crescent City, um, California, is that subduction zone. And when that thing, you know, finally builds up enough pressure and slips down, um, it really can, you know, cause a major earthquake, 9.0 or even better. Um, and with that, massive tidal waves on the coast and you know if you thought it was bad with snowmageddon which was pretty localized you know the worst of it was really in lane county and douglas county they had some impacts in in coos and curry and josephine and jackson counties but the really worst of it was um you know, central and, and northern Douglas County and um, central and, and southern and eastern um, Lane County where you know, just massive power outages. Thousands of trees down. I mean, there were thousands of trees down on Highway 58. That's why it took so long to get it back open and why they were having to run one-way convoys that were actually um, pilot cars and follow cars to make sure everyone got there and back to Oakridge uh, from Lowell for several days. That is—that's just a snapshot. You know, we had the ability to draw resources. You know, Marion County for for electric. You know, for uh, electric crews to come down here from uh, Deschutes County from you know, other counties easily into this area to start the the recovery. When you think about the Cascadia, it's going to probably involve every um, valley and coastal county in the state. Along with, it's going to involve coastal counties and some of the inland counties in northern california and a good portion of washington state there's not going to be as much ability for immediate mutual aid everyone's going to have their own problems at that point so it's going to take at least another three weeks for some people to get power back on in parts of douglas county can you imagine what that'll be like after the cascadia subduction zone earthquake where you're not going to be able to just call on the neighboring utility that might be a county or two over for their extra crews and their extra parts, which leads to another issue that's actually slowing down and why it's taking as much as three weeks for people to get power on. Utilities have completely run down the regional supply of spare poles, spare cross arms, transformers, wire it's getting difficult for them to continue the pace of repairs because the supply chain is, is, is not, you know, the, the reserves in the supply chain are difficult. So, you know, it's really important then to be personally prepared for these storms. But, you know, I'm curious how you survive, Snobogeddon. So give us a call here on the Bose Nose Show and talk to me, your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, at 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. You know, she was fortunate and survived this pretty well over there in Springfield. Uh, the the town, you know, Springfield utility uh, wasn't hit as bad as you know some other areas, and uh, so the folks that have sub, you know, actually got pretty quick restoration. Um, I actually didn't get hit that bad here at my house. Fortunately, I'm pretty prepared. I'm a bit of a prepper. After We lost power for three days in the last wet snowstorm about eight years ago. I got a whole house generator installed and buried a gigantic propane tank in my front yard. So I can run power to my house for weeks if I need to. And we fortunately were only out of power for about six hours the first time. And then we lost power uh, about a day, half a day later for about another four hours, I think, as they were trying to do some repair work or Another tree fell um, as things started to thaw, but uh, even in that time, short periods of time, we were out. I had neighbors coming to to my house, even though I wasn't here. Um, My neighbors' kids were actually coming in to take care of my dogs because my dog sitter, you know, was had to be at work, and my yeah, I couldn't get people here, so I had to call my neighbor uh, because my wife was also out of town when snow began to hit. And she actually was supposed to be traveling back on that Monday and got stuck in Denver airport um, and had to get a hotel in Denver overnight. Then eventually managed to get on a standby into uh, Portland, rent a car in Portland and drive home about 24 hours after she was supposed to get home. Um, Fortunately, the power was back on by the time she got home. But my neighbors were actually coming to my house to get water because, you know, I live out in the country. You don't have electricity your well's not running and uh, you run out of water really quick. So, uh, you know, one of the fortunate things is, you know, my house becomes the water supply for several of my neighbors. If, if we do have an extended power outage, because I do have the generator and that buried propane tank, but you know, we found a lot of weaknesses in our system that we're probably going to have to think about after the fact. Some of our, um, communications repeater towers that we have for um, communicating with our utilities and public safety folks and our public works guys they're all on top of hills all over rural parts of lane county and a lot of them are up on hills that the only way you get up there is a gravel road like a logging road through the forest well What do you think happened to the ability to get up and down those roads and refuel the generators that are powering those repeater stations or do any repairs to them? It was a pretty tough go. I mean, they had to actually get up to one of the um, repeaters uh, with, on Bear Mountain with a snowcat and the snow uh, was so deep, they stepped over the five, the five or six foot high security fence um, in their snowshoes they, you know could practically have driven the cat snow cat over it and they actually had to dig down to get to the propane tanks to refuel them because <laughs> they've been covered up with snow um, but you know there may be a necessity to uh, rethink how big those tanks need to be and how long they should last on those those repeater stations you know one of the lessons learned we might have there but really curious, you know, how did everybody survive Snovageddon? And and did, did you help a neighbor out some way? I mean, I wasn't here, so I couldn't actually help neighbors. But, you know, just by talking to my neighbors, I let them know that if they needed to come in and get warm or um, get water or whatever else, that my house had power um, when theirs didn't. And one of my neighbors took advantage of that. Um, of course, they've got a house full of kids, so... they they need water a little bit more than than most households. Um, So yeah, that's one of the things when you talk about personal preparation, they always, they keep changing how many days or weeks of food you need to keep. One of the reasons they've been extending that, extending that is they realize quite often, you're not just prepping for your own household, you're not gonna turn away your neighbor that has an infant or your elderly 80 year old neighbor it comes over so you may think you've got a month's worth of supplies once you start feeding a couple neighbors it becomes a week and hopefully after a week you know you can get resupplied and get some help. but even then you have to be careful about counting on that because if we get that true Cascadia subduction zone event you know it's going to be like this event in some ways people learn that you know a hotel wasn't a backup um, strategy you know, if you lose power, because there were a lot of people out in the country that couldn't even get out to the main road, because um, there were so many trees down across their roads into their neighborhoods. So you couldn't get out of your, away from your your house or your neighborhood. Of course, that means the electric crews aren't coming in very fast either. So you're stuck in your house, not being able to go to a hotel unless you hike out, which I know some people did. In fact, one of our public works Um, employees uh, got flagged down by a person saying they were worried about a neighbor, an elderly neighbor that they knew was um, mobility limited. And he hiked a mile, over a mile into this person's house and found out, found them, determined that they were okay for about 24 hours got back out, um, got to where he, he was in an area that was had no communication, so he had to get to a place where he could communicate and made sure the proper authorities knew that somebody needed to get into this guy and evacuate him. Um, and you know, that's the sort of above and beyond some people had to do. And that's you know, really um, sort of one of the, 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 probably the biggest lesson learned for me about this was just people helped people there are all sorts of stories that about that, but you know, one of the, you know, just kind of going back to some of the lessons learned at least watching this happen from afar as I'm sitting in a meeting in DC, as it's, as it's rolling out in real time. Cause you, you know, we're three hours ahead there. So about nine o'clock in the morning, I'm starting a meeting in Washington, DC, and I'm starting to get all the six o'clock tweets and, and and email exchanges about this is closed that is closed ltd is not going to run today um stay home don't don't get out on the roads you know all the various you know um communications that that i have queued up to where it interrupts you know from there's certain places that i want to know when something happens so i i let those things come through even when i have do not disturb on for a meeting and uh you know all of us and i'm sitting in the meeting with this united front team from lane county um because it was our first joint meeting of the whole team before we kind of started started splitting up and going to various um departments uh, and agencies around uh, washington dc because you know there are places that the folks from ltd that were there want to go to that maybe weren't so interesting for the folks from lane county um, dealing with mass transit um likewise you know we had people from springfield school district uh lane we had the the people from the city of eugene with the mayor there and the mayor of of eugene was there along with myself and uh you know a couple you know folks so we had folks from the various governments there so we're all getting this coming into us and it was really um Interesting. And one of the things that that as I'm then I'm trying to get online and find out what's going on in some ways later on in the day, as as, as it's getting later and people are going about things. But I went on KZI just to see what the general flavor was media coverage. And one of the stories about how the stores were kind of stripped clean Sunday when they predicted the snow. So one of the lessons learned for folks is. Stores empty fast when it comes to these kind of things. I mean, Portland learned that a few weeks back when they had snow predicted and and their stores got stripped. And then you get a case like Oak Ridge, where they basically have one major grocery store up there. And the Rays basically, sure enough, got stripped down pretty fast to supplies. And then the town was cut off and the suppliers and all that aren't going to wait in line for a once a day up and once a day back sort of convoy to resupply that one single grocery store goodness the um, manager of the grocery store rented a box truck waited for that convoy came down to eugene stocked up with stuff and went back up with the convoy on a daily basis to try and keep folks and groceries in oak ridge but that's going to be pretty tough in cascadia because it's not going to you know oak ridge was the one town besides some of the those small smaller communities up the mckenzie river valley that got completely isolated by road closure and you're going to see that with every community in some ways in the cascadia subduction zone earthquake we're going to see bridges down you're going to see you know, utility poles and trees that fall down in that earthquake. Um, and you're going to see a lot of isolated communities. So depending on being able to get to the grocery store and and restock, well, that grocery store is going to empty really quick. You know, and you're going to be eating odd things. <laughs> kind of funny because um, folks might be aware that KPNW's uh, radio signal went down because their repeater station had a problem for their signal um, and the generator had been taken offline there and all sorts of issues but um, I was Bill London is a, is a friend and I was texting back and forth with him and another buddy and Bill was sleeping at the station at that point and at one point he was drinking Corona beer and eating Oreo cookies for dinner <laughs> because that's what he had available. So yeah, you know, you'll get down to that really quick, and then you think about if this is really extended, as in the Cascadia event, you're going to be um, looking at, uh, you know, really being hard put for what are you going to eat if you haven't personally prepared and put aside non-perishable foods. Because, you know, first of all, the power is going to be out. So that freezer, you're going to be eating a lot of meat the first three days. But after that, that meat's not going to be very good to eat. So once, once you get past your freezer supply and you're into your non-perishable stuff, uh, you know, how far can you go if that grocery store is empty? How long are you going to be able to feed, you know, your family? And how long might you be able to help out a neighbor? So really this is a great lesson in that we need to prepare personally. And there's a lot of great resources, you know, for, you know, a checklist for personal preparation. And in fact, if you live in the um, Florence area on that side, where you really ought to be preparing, because you want to talk about isolation after the, the, not only the earthquake, but the follow-up tsunamis, um, you know, there could be, significant time before you're ever going to see government help reach the coast. And, um, there is a, um, emergency preparedness, uh, exposition coming up. I believe it's on March 30th at the events center there in Florence. And I'm going to try and dig up the information as I speak, uh, because I think I put it up on my Facebook page, a link to it. I'm going to my Facebook page right now, um, but it's really something, if you're in the Florence area, I would re- highly recommend that you take advantage. Yeah, emergency preparedness, Be Ready Preparedness Expo 2019, Saturday, March 30th, 10 a.m. It, it's sponsored by Sius Law News, and it's at the Florence Event Center. I think it's going to last for a while there. You can go in and get um, proper checklist, and, and people can help you, you know, learn how to be prepared. Because if nothing else, this event should make you really um, think about how you are going to be prepared for the next event. This really you know, was a horrible snowstorm, and for the electric utilities, was a horrible uh, event, and for the road systems, was really bad for a while. But you know, there's there's far worse possibilities out there. You know, we haven't we haven't had a repeat of the Columbus Day windstorm and what that might do, and 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 you know, we haven't had a repeat of some of the floods that we've had you know historically in this area, yeah. and so you, not just that Cascadia event, but the one thing about the Cascadia event is. You know, we may not get one of these other big events in your lifetime. I can almost predict we will have a Cascadia event soon. I mean, every year that goes by is just another year we're going past, the you know, the um, 300-year repetitive period for that event to happen. The last event was in 1700. So we're already 19 years past due so just you know think about you know where do you want to be when that event happens as far as preparedness do you want to know that you've got enough food in your house to supply your household maybe feed a neighbor or two for a while do you know you've got some way to keep warm do you have some way of getting drinking water because one of the things about the the, the subduction zone earthquake, it's not just going to hurt the electrical system. It's going to rupture pipes. So even if you, you know, live in the city, folks that lived in you know the South Hills of Eugene might have been out of power for almost a week in some places uh, if they had eWeb. But a lot of them still have drinking water because they were on city water because the, the snowstorm didn't impact the drinking water. It did in areas where the, the water treatment plants lost power down and drain they're still on on some restrictions there but that you know that has to be a pretty wide um, and long uh, power outage and fortunately um, both eweb and subs water systems weren't really impacted by this this event but how are you going to get drinking water do you have a filter do you know where you're going to get your your supply to, to be filtered you know have you thought some of that through or you know are you storing water? That's one way you can get around that is store water, but of course, you know they tell you to store three gallons per person per day, so that takes a fair amount of water to go several weeks so uh you know either think about storage or you know have a filter available um you know, in my case, I have a well and I have a generator, so I've got you know the ability to have water um, Hopefully, the shaking won't take my generator out. <laughs> We'll see. Um, So just, you know, that preparedness. But, you know, one of the lessons I took away from this was how incredible the people of Lane County are. You know, this is the kind of event where you would normally hear, you know, not too long afterwards about somebody that froze to death in their house. And of course, yes, there may be houses we have not reached yet in Lane County, but knock on wood. There has been no reported deaths from the storm event. That's a pretty amazing thing in Lane County. Because there are some people pretty isolated and I attribute that to the fact that neighbors took it upon themselves to look after their neighbors, particularly the more vulnerable neighbors. Story on the news uh, last night and this morning on KZI was about a, <clears throat> a woman that accidentally locked herself in her garage. A fairly elderly woman, and uh, couldn't get out of her garage. And the there was a actual um, wellness check done that missed missed her somehow or another. Just happened to be her neighbor you know, was thoughtful enough to go over and make sure everything was okay with her, that heard her in the garage and rescued her. That public works employee that was willing to hike a mile into a um, mobility limited seniors home to check on them. You know, that neighbor checking on neighbor thing, I am incredibly proud of the folks in Lane County. And and the things people did to look after each other. That's going to be key when it comes down to how we're going to get island, you know, it will be in survival island mode um, when it comes to the Cascadia event. I mean, look at the, you know, the manager of that food place in Oak Ridge and how above and beyond he went. And there's story after story after story of people going above and beyond and, and looking after neighbors. And that's, you know, at least at this point, and, and again, knock wood, because you know, we may have yet to find somebody that, that didn't get out of their home and wasn't found out about and checked on. But we have not had a single death reported due to this storm in Lane County that's a pretty amazing statistic and I, and, I, and I just can't say you know how proud I am of the citizens of Lane County how proud I am of our public works departments in the county in the cities our you know ODOT staff the utility staff the sheriff's department our search and rescue people we're doing wellness checks on some of these isolated areas because they've got the gear to, to hike in in snowshoes and, and be self-sustaining if they get caught out themselves and they're the ones out there doing those checks. These utility crew members were doing 30 hour shifts to start with trying to restore power. Meanwhile, some of those crews, their houses didn't have power and their families were home alone without power and and dealing with that so it just it's an amazing amount of um self-sacrifice that went into it but an amazing amount of organization and preparation i want to give huge kudos to our new um emergency manager at lane county patients whose first day on the job was monday of the snowstorm so she walks in and it's supposed to go into orientation for Lane County, new employee orientation, and learn things like um, our anti-harassment policies and about our you know, health insurance and signing up for that and various other things. And what happens? She runs straight into an operating emergency operations center and, and basically becomes the incident commander for a major event in Lane County. And I have heard nothing but praise for the job she did and how calm she was in under fire. So that was an amazingly good hire by our, our county administrator. And uh, I just want to say there's been a lot of great work there. But, yeah, you know, there's, you know, we do have some lessons we'll learn. We'll debrief this event, try and figure out what we can do um, to make it work better in the future. So um kind of wore that topic out a little bit um still curious to hear you know how did you fare during snowmageddon you know did you did you make it through or how do you spell snowmageddon still stuck on that one but how did you fare just give us a call 646-721-9887 just press one lets us know you want to get in on the conversation so um switching modes a little bit here we'll get off of the uh the um snowstorm event and emergency preparedness and all that stuff we'll talk about trying to prepare for the future in another way and it's an infrastructure issue too because that's part of you know preparing for the cascadia is trying to um Harden and make more resilient our infrastructure, so there's less damage when it does happen. Um, No different than it was important that utilities have been really working hard to get trees away from their right-of-ways. But of course, a lot of their right-of-ways are 30 feet wide. And when you got a um, 80 to 100 foot Douglas fir falling, (laughs) it kind of covers that right-of-way anyway. Um, So, but really talking about infrastructure that supports our judicial system here in Lane County and justice, and that's our courthouse. And one of the things that was, you know, kind of uh, a bit of a pain, but also uh, important is I got to call in and, and participate in Tuesday board meeting. I actually stepped out of a lunch meeting to do so. So I was missing lunch at the time, sitting in the hallway of the Braeburn, um, office building for the house of representatives there on capitol hill by the way the uh cohen um hearings were going on in that same building that i got to see that zoo uh and media scrum which was incredible must have been 500 people from the media lining the hallways waiting for that 15 second piece of film of him walking out of the hearing room or trying to catch one of the uh Representatives or somebody to talk to and get a sound bite. Um, it was freaking a zoo. Um, but I got to participate in the board meeting by phone, as did three other commissioners, because they couldn't get from their home into Lane County. In fact, Commissioner Pete Sorensen, our chair, was stuck in Denver along with my wife because <laughs> he was trying to fly home the day before um, from some event he was at. And then, uh, of course, our uh, commissioner, new commissioners, Joe Burney, lives up the hill in Springfield and couldn't get out of his neighborhood. And Commissioner Buck was in um, the hills south of Eugene and couldn't get out of her neighborhood. So everybody was participating by phone, except for Commissioner Pat Farr, who actually could make it from Bethel to the, uh, the county office building. And one of the things we did in that meeting, besides declare a state of emergency in Lane County, is to vote to put the courthouse uh, local uh, bond levy on the ballot for the May election on May 21st. And we put put on the amount of $154 million, which will be about $0.27 per thousand of assessed value, which works out to about $50 for the average home's assessed value a year. Um, and it'll be a 20-year bond, and that's brought up, you know, a lot of questions from people about courts, and I wanted to talk a little bit about just one, how significant courts play a role in justice and why it's important to have good infrastructure for them, and then I want to talk a little bit about the cost of the courthouse, because one of the things People are trying to do is take the cost that we, you know, the $252 million cost divided by the 300,000 square feet, and they're coming up with a number they think is too high per square foot. One of the things that in that $252 million cost for the pr- entire project is that's from the cost of the land all the way through the cost of the furniture. Whereas most costs for a project that you hear about, like say 4J and one of their schools, is only the building. They already own the land, and they usually have the furniture and somewhere else in their budget, and some of the other things. This is everything in that two hundred two fifty two million dollar budget. Um, we did did that on purpose because we didn't want to come back and try and explain to people, oh, well, that wasn't part of the estimate or something like that. We want to make sure people understood the entire cost of the project so we wouldn't be coming back later and trying to explain why the price keeps going up. Um, you know, we've seen that happen with other jurisdictions. It's So we wanted to give the, 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 the whole price for the entire project uh, We've we've built in contingencies, so hopefully we won't have to come back and amend it for any unforeseen stuff. We even built in inflation factors as as the project timeline. You know, it's going to be a couple years before we actually are constructing this. So that $252 million is the property we purchased for the courthouse. It's the permits. It's the architects. It's the engineers. You know, the, the, the utility construction that we'll have to be bringing into that block it's you know any street work we have to do uh, outside of the building footprint um, site work um, you name it It's, it's all in including the furniture after the building gets built so that we we don't have to change that number we want to make sure we put out a number that was the total cost of the project so apples to apples you have to get back to only the building or something it gets to be more about closer to $500 a square foot instead of the 800-something that people are getting by doing the division. And uh, that's a fairly reasonable cost because court buildings are really a very complex building to build because you have to have three separate sets of circulation for people. There has to be a general public entrance where you know folks that are coming in to do everything from paying their, their speeding ticket they got from the state police to looking up court records, to filing for divorce, to whether they're a witness in a trial or, uh, you know, just want to attend a trial, that whole general public has to be able to come in, go through some screening uh, at the door and be able to access all those public spaces where the general public's allowed to be then there has to be a set of circulation for inmates that's secure where you're going to be moving inmates that, you know, they can't be attacked by people that are aggrieved and, and, and all that, you know, you don't want another, um, Jack Ruby situation. Um, you also, you know, want to keep the inmates separated from maybe some of the folks that are witnesses or that were actually their victims because they might, want to either intimidate or, you know, go after those people. Um, So that their movement has to be in a separate, secure movement and, and requires them to be separate. You also don't want them mixing with the court staff because quite often those inmates, you know, it's not their first time through the court system and they might have kind of a grudge against some of the people that are staffing the courts like folks from the DA's office or a judge that, you know, may have sentenced them previously. Um, so that, you know, they have to have their own secure um, circulation separated from the public. And then there's the court staff, you know, they, they get pre-screened where they can get in without maybe going through a metal detector every time. Cause you think about, you know, um, there are investigators from the DA's office that, Carry firearms. You know, they're going through the secure screenings—not exactly something they want to do every day. Um, yeah, you know, there's there certain people that are allowed to carry weapons into the building. You know, that are pre-pre-pre-screened uh, and pre-and uh, allowed and have permission from the presiding judge and the judges and all that. Where they have—they there needs to be some separation between them and the general public, and also from the inmates. So there, there's that third set. So you have basically a normal building would have one set of elevators everybody uses. There's three sets of elevators you have to maintain in a courthouse for moving these three different sets of people. And then there's, you know, a lot of separation of security doors and electronic security systems where there's, you know, Key card and, and code punch in and, and hand readers and stuff like that to get through doorways to, that travel between secure and non secure or less secure areas, I should say the entire courthouse is a secure facility. All that stuff is stuff that drives the price of a courthouse up, but I want to get to just. Some of the basic need for a court system. And understanding that you know this piece of infrastructure that allows for a efficiently functioning justice system here in Lane County, how important that is and how clearly that's been identified over the years, as we have decided to form governments to keep our, a civil society, that that is one of the functions that is just basic to why we even have government in the first place. When you think about why, you know, why did they for, form the first tribal governments, you know, and, and why did government continue on as a, as a function of our society? And, and you know, it, you think about it, it's usually because you want to prevent people from, you know, being harmed by others or losing their property to others through force and fraud you know that's one of the reasons why you know maybe a tribe you know back in those days might have established some kind of you know, warriors and self defense maybe even you know put up some self defense around their village to prevent other you know tribes and all that from coming in and harming them and then there might have been disputes about who owned what piece of property so they might have even set up a tribal council to adjudicate you know, disputes just over property. So when you think about one of the most basic functions of government, it's you know to protect people from force and fraud and harm. And to provide a judicial system that can enforce contracts between private parties. and And resolve contract disputes between private parties. It's so fundamental, it's recognized in our Bill of Rights in multiple parts of of our Bill of Rights in the amendments. And in fact, there are two amendments in there that, you know, people don't talk about very much. Everybody always hears about the First Amendment, you know, free speech, freedom of religion, all that good stuff. Everyone talks about the Second Amendment because that's what you need to have the First Amendment in the first place, uh, you know, and and the right to bear arms. Those two get talked about all the time. Then you hear about the Fifth Amendment a lot, because that's the place where you can uh, plead the Fifth and not have to incriminate yourself. But rarely do people talk too much about the Sixth and Seventh Amendments of the Constitution in the Bill of Rights. And they basically say that in, any, in all Sixth Amendment, in all criminal prosecutions, The accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. Now you think about a court building. Part of that's the right to a speedy and public trial. So one of the things we're having issues with with our current court building and our current court system is we've grown a lot. That courthouse originally only had six courtrooms in it, been remodeled and remodeled and remodeled to where we've got 15 courtrooms in Lane County now. But we've really outgrown that. And what we're projecting in the new courthouse is to have 18 courtrooms that should be able to take us for the next 60 years. But one of the issues is those courtrooms, because it's been remodeled and remodeled, multiple of those courtrooms are too small to run a standard trial in. So there's a lot of juggling of which courtroom gets assigned what case and trying to get cases in. and only so many of those courtrooms are large enough to seat a full 12person jury with two uh, alternates you know 14 jurors and hold a decent amount for the public because one of the things is it's not just a speedy trial it's a public trial so the new courthouse will allow us because the courthouse that the, the Courtrooms will be flexible, but they'll be all large enough to all accommodate a 12-person jury with two two alternates and accommodate a decent amount of public that there won't be this issue of which courtroom are you in versus how big is your trial going to be in scheduling for the judges, particularly as Lane County is looking at getting two new judges uh, in the future. We're overdue to get additional judges. Yet we don't have offices for them. But that's another situation that that courtroom's limited. But the court the existing courthouse is limited. We don't have any room for housing new judges. Um, but that right to a, a, an expedient trial that's that's public. You know, so one you have to have a way for the public to get in there, and of course you got to make sure you know everything's safe for everybody. And you got to be able to schedule those in efficient ways. And the new courthouse will allow for that that process that's called for in the Sixth Amendment to our Constitution. And it's supposed to be by an impartial jury of the you know and, and in the district where you are actually you know committed to crime, which means that you know if you're charged in Lane County of a crime. The, the trial has to be held here in Lane County, unless there's some reason for it to be um, Located somewhere else and that's usually it takes pretty extenuating circumstances. Um, but that's usually because you couldn't get an impartial jury because it was some very public and very. Um, you know some exacerbating reason why you didn't feel you could get a impartial jury locally. But one of the things that's limiting our ability to seat impartial juries is our existing courthouse is extremely limiting to folks with mobility issues. And doesn't meet the Americans for Disabilities Act standards, particularly for our jury boxes. Almost all of them have a step up. So if you're in a wheelchair, you get sat outside the jury box, you know, and, and you have to move in different ways and in, in different areas because there's doorways that are too narrow, bathrooms that won't accommodate you in the jury rooms, you know, all sorts of issues um, that make it difficult for Everyone in our society to be selected for a jury and serve um, with equal ability of the other jurors. So that you know, a new court facility will resolve that issue and make it easier to have you know full participation from our entire populace for jury selection, and not be limiting or or causing issues for jurors that are mobility limited. Um, okay. You know that there other parts of, of of this you know like the assistance and counsel for the defense the public defenders aren't even located in our courthouse that would change in the new courthouse they would be actually located in the court building so that you know there's a, a whole you know uh, ability to get uh, counsel is improved in the new courthouse and then there's the seventh amendment, which you know, these both these amendments are ones that that folks may not be able to quote, but most people know you have a right to a speedy trial. An impartial jury, they just don't know it's the sixth amendment, the seventh amendments, one people probably couldn't quote if, if you paid them. <laughs> it says in suits of, at common law, otherwise, and now I'm going to. You know, that's basically civil suits where the value of the controversy shall exceed $20, which I guess in 17, um, <laughs> 1787 when this was ratified, $20 was a fairly large amount of money. Um, nowadays, it kind of seems silly to have that, that value. A right to trial by jury shall be preserved. And no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of common law. Basically, that says, if you're in dispute with another party and it's not a criminal issue, whether you're a tenant that's in a dispute over a landlord, over a deposit being withheld for damages you felt you didn't cause, or you are uh, a business that's having trouble collecting on on an invoice and somebody's already received the services. All those sort of contractual issues, you have the right to trial by jury to resolve those. Rarely gets to that point, but you do see some of the big ones. Think about some of the medical malpractice. Accidents. Some of those larger civil claims. Yeah, there's one up in the state house that got settled recently um, where they they agreed to over $100,000 settlement on the sexual harassment issues up there at state capitol. That's, you know, that's a civil case. And some of those do go to jury. In fact, I have a friend that served on a jury on a medical malpractice case. And it was a hideous one because you get had to see photos of some horrible stuff during the course of that, of being on that jury. Um, But, you know, we're required to be able to, you know, but under the U S constitution to provide for that ability to have that trial by jury, which is one of the reasons why there's, 33,000 cases a year filed in Lane County. Those aren't all criminal cases, the majority of those are civil. You know, if you think about, you know, how much how meaningful the court system is to civil society and how important it is to be efficient and not have to Scramble around with which courtroom is big enough for this trial, which courtrooms not, you know, is, which trial might be small enough to fit into this one and let's reschedule that one here. And now we got to, re, you know, this one decided to go to trial, so we got to bump that one. And next thing you know, people are not getting a speedy trial and um, delayed justice is not justice. So really important to have that court facility. Yeah, and that's two places it's written right into the Constitution that we're supposed to be supplying this as part of government, and it's such a basic thing of government to provide a court of law. And, of course, you know, the courts actually enforce other parts of the Bill of Rights. You know, people are fairly familiar with um, the Fourth Amendment, which is basically that you know, the, the need for a warrant before you can be searched and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, a you know, probable cause and warrants and the ability to, you know, whether or not, uh, evidence is allowable, you know, all that gets heard in front of the courts to determine that if there's dispute over that. And then the fifth amendment, of course, um, you know, about, you know, you can't be charged with a, a crime, um, a capital crime without an indictment of a grand jury. Where do you think the grand jury is housed in the current courthouse in a room that is too small because grand juries have grown in size over time. And now we have to, to record grand jury proceedings according to state law and the room's not well set up for that. So, you know, that's just another piece where in order to, beat the fifth amendment that you know everyone's familiar with the part of the fifth amendment that talks about um you know not being able to compel to incriminate yourself and also the portion that talks about due process of law and just compensation um but there's a piece at the beginning of that that talks about capital crimes have to be uh, done through um grand jury so that's that's really um, another important function in the courthouse is to provide that grand jury uh, capability. So there you got four of the ten amendments to the Constitution, original Constitution or are part of the Bill of Rights have some tie to the court system and the need to provide an adequate court system. So... As as we move forward with our request of you, the taxpayers of Lane County, to to approve taxing yourselves, we're asking you to tax yourselves to supply a facility and the infrastructure that allows us to have you know expedient, impartial justice in Lane County. And that's really what that that elections all about. Yeah, may hey, jump in for a sec? Sure, Rob. I have I have an announcement. Yes. And breaking news. It's snowing outside. <laughs> you have a window? <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, speaking of, of, of announcements, before we lose the show here, I want to just make sure people are aware that they're closing one of the ramps to the Washington Jefferson Street Bridge for a good while, 24-7, and that they're going to be closing all four of those ramps eventually, one at a time. So for those of you that you know thought it was bad when they were just narrowing the lanes, wait till you try and get on or off and realize you can't go that way. So pay attention to the announcements about the ramps on the Washington Jefferson Street Bridge. And while you're sitting in the traffic because of that, remember, it was former Commissioner Rob Handy that helped kill the bridge that would have gone from Valley River Center over the River Road that would have been the outlet for the Washington Jefferson Bridge while it was under normal maintenance, which is one of the things you have to do with that infrastructure. You have to maintain it. So, um, just, you know, that's kind of what we're doing with the courthouse. We're maintaining the infrastructure for the courts. And hopefully, uh, we'll get, you know, more robust electrical infrastructure here in Lane County for the future and be ready for this Cascadia subduction zone earthquake with maybe our transportation infrastructure and other infrastructure. But, um, you know, we got to maintain that transportation infrastructure, which Causes us to do repairs now and then on things like the Washington Jefferson Bridge over to I-105, and uh, it would have been nice to have an alternative to that. But yeah, the, the turtleneck himself helped kill that that extra bridge that would have given you an outlet for the Washington Jefferson Street Bridge. So um, yeah, next time you see former Commissioner Handy, you can thank him uh, if you're one of those people that sits in that traffic. Uh, trying to get in or out of downtown uh, at rush hour. So that's about all we have time for here on the Bose Nose Show today. I want to thank you for listening. I'm glad you survived Snowbageddon. We'll be back next week at a regular time. Have a great week.